conversation with both Lassie and Thomas from Hidenmark. A wonderful piece of wordplay. Hidden Denmark, crossed together, Hidenmark. Coming together from different backgrounds, bringing to the table a variety and a wide base of both knowledge and experience, their team forged together all with the dedicated passion of folklore, history, legends, and more than a taste of the unusual, bringing together and sharing more about their culture, exploring and researching across the whole breadth of Denmark, and also producing accessible audio adventure tours. So join me, this is Our Curious World. I came across your guys' work, I came across a, a post posted on, uh, I think it's Carl Schuker's, um, the cryptozoologist guy's post. I saw, I saw a yeah. post about you guys on there, then I followed the link and I saw you guys do a lot of different stuff, and I was like, I've got to reach out and talk to you. So. If uh, you can perhaps tell me a bit about what your group is, what it's all about, and uh, how you guys got together and the kind of things that you cover, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, um, well, we are uh, three people uh, right now doing um, yeah everything, basically me and Lasse, uh, who's here uh, to get another conversation. And uh, one guy called Simon who couldn't be here. Uh, but um, we all do different parts of this uh, project, which started... I guess a few years ago was kind of an idea of um, mapping uh, locations in Denmark which were interesting for legendary value or uh, some other kind of attraction. But mainly it ended up being something around legends connected to certain places. Um, and Lasse got abroad because he had like a similar idea, I guess, for, for doing it. In yeah, I was I was uh, thinking of a more uh, local project um center around uh, the southern uh, Zealand area where I live, where uh, I had a sort of the same idea. I, I, uh, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a map or just a collection of stories posted online with uh, places to go to and, and uh, uh, what, what can you say, uh, less known about legends and stuff like that. So I reached out to, uh, to uh, Thomas and Simon on... Uh, on Instagram, and we had a chat, and uh, we decided to uh, to join up. Yeah, it's really good because that's, that's kind of like a similar journey to myself. I realized that uh, I like local legends, mythology, culture, uh, those stories that are simmering and under the surface um, that people are only local seem to know about. And I love that kind of uh, texture uh, that can be brought forward. And particularly when you see people's eyes light up with that imagination. Or when it, it kicks in, when they say, like, "Oh, I live so close to that. Let me go find that out," and that uh, that creates such a, a good vibe. Exactly. That's that's kind of the thing because I was also like, "Wow, uh, it's not written about very many places these things, but you can find the the books and the articles if you if you look for it." But it's also about piecing it together and kind of seeing, "Ah, okay, this legend started here and there," and kind of getting it all together and and making it available for people a little bit more because it mm. exactly. I mean, one example is is a place near where we have our, our family has a summer vacation house. Um, my parents have been going by that area for years and years. And I told them, do you know that there, there's this cross up on this hill, which is, is put there for a priest who got stoned uh, back uh, uh, when Catholicism was kind of emerging or uh, overlapping into uh, Protestantism. And they never heard about it. And, and they, they went basically parallel to that road for years and years. But they never saw the the cross because uh, oh, they didn't go one step. So it's kind of like making these kind of things more available to people, making them aware uh, that what's going on around. So is that the same? Is that the uh, same story with you, Lassie? 
Uh, yeah, sort of. I, I, I think... Uh, I, I don't really know how I started. I think I've always been uh, an outdoors person and exploring new places. And I think... Uh, Much more than me. <laughs> well, I, I live uh, out in the country and, and have done always. But uh, a couple of years ago, I moved to uh, the island of uh, Bornholm in uh, the Baltic uh, Sea region. It's a, it's a part of Denmark, which is... Uh, very far dis- uh, detached from the rest of the of the country, and uh, it's a place so, what you say, steeped with folklore and uh, uh, a local uh, author, Dennis Gade Kofold, uh, wrote in a book how every every place on Bornholm has a name, because it's a small island, but it has such a rich folklore. Uh, and I think when I lived there, uh, I explored a lot of these locations and. Uh, I don't know. I think it accelerated an already existing interest into something. Uh, I don't know. I could present uh, also online. I started going to these places and really developing uh, photography skills uh, and trying to tell stories uh, on Instagram. So it came naturally to to, uh, to do more with that. So it, the- it has to be said that Bornholm is really special compared to the rest of Denmark. It's basically the terrain is completely different from anything you will find. All right, so yeah, describe yeah. that to me. How, how is it different? It has uh, rocks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the rest of Denmark has no uh, cliffs and rocks. It's it's mostly chalk and uh, what do you call it? Flint rock. Um, so Bornholm has these majestic cliffs and a lot of forests and uh, not a lot of population compared to other places. So it has a lot of sort of wild areas, even if they aren't that big. It's it's uh, it's a very special place, very scenic uh, compared to a lot of other places in Denmark. All right. So does that does that uh, bode into the legends it, that that's a different place? It- yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, legends that are unique to Bornholm, especially uh, a lot of tales surrounding uh, a race of subterraneans called uh, the Unajordiske, which are appearing. Subterraneans. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's 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 uh, basically the direct uh, translation. But uh, these Unajordiske, they appear in legends and folklore in Sweden and Norway and the rest of Denmark. But on Bornholm, they are everywhere. And they... Uh, so what's their characteristics? It's, it's a sort of uh, guardian people of the island who, who dwell in the, in the rocks and the cliffs and live in the burial mounds uh, like they are known to elsewhere and uh, basically have their own society. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, how do you say, local uh, traditions and don't go play on that hill and uh, you, shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't destroy the cliff. Uh, that's one thing. And these, these beliefs are, are persisting even today. You can find a lot of people, not just old people, but people on Bornholm who might be a not might be a good idea not to piss off these subterranean people. So how do you because... think those legends got started then? So is if did did people go and do then activities in the legends that then caused like we, we're not going to do that again? Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, certainly. There's a lot of uh, uh, legends about someone not respecting them or doing something that they didn't like and ending up missing or uh, insane or 
just having their farm burned down. <laughs> but I think things. the point is also that, that, I mean, it was like that in the whole country, but mm. Bonhomme has just existed for up until yeah. now, whereas uh, we have sometimes really, I mean, even now there's not a grandmother who can, can sell like a good legend anymore because the kind of the chain is broken at some point in most of the country, which is yeah. a shame. It is a shame. We find that here as well. As um, A lot of people have lost yeah. those links to their, their, their culture and their traditions and the, the kind of things that... Hate to sort of fading out. It's almost like yeah. it's very, very small pockets of people might still uh, abide by, but nowhere near the kind of um, full-on everyone knows that they're once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also one of the motivations for doing this for me. Uh, also, I guess for Lasse and Simon is to kind of keep this this idea alive. That I mean, we're not trying to say that uh, let's uh, revive uh, faith in everything and just believe anything, but I mean, it has a certain kind of uh, value, however you see it. To have a connection to these old stories and legends, uh, and you can see that in how people react when you when you talk about it. For yes. sure, it's also it's. I think it's it's uh, it's cool to live in an interesting place or in a place that has some history, and and it's yes. not just a location on Earth. It's had stories and over. Uh, I think a lot of the attraction with with uh, legends is that uh, they are usually place bound. So it's it's not just once upon a time. It's on that hill over there. Something happens way back. And that's how you can map it and and also like yeah, make like uh, directions for people at this. So it becomes a living yeah. in the landscape. Yeah. So how long? Have yeah. you, do you say three years? You've been guys have been recording that kind of data. No, I no. I mean, I don't know how long Les has gone with with his idea, but uh, I've been kind of collecting these things on a like a location basis okay. for. Uh, a long time, okay. but but really like starting to put cases and and files together on it. I, I really started two years ago, I guess. Uh, before that, I've had an interest more in 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 case by case things, I guess. Also relating to UFOs and uh, cryptozoology, as far as it exists in Denmark, which is not that much uh, uh, cryptids. But um, only like recently, I really got more and more into how these legends actually work the patterns in them and, and how they are spread out. The, like some areas of the country will have uh, more of a cluster of of this kind of thing. Like in, mm. in the south of, of Jutland, Jutland uh, close to the German border, you have a lot of like fire trees, uh, trees that they they were put fire into it as a protection for farms. They also with rocks and mounds, but, but it was really a lot with trees, much more than the rest of the country. Uh, and it's interesting that some of these trees are still also standing there, whereas many, many trees in general, uh, legendary trees are actually in the last 20 years, a lot have fallen. Oh, uh, so they are the least <laughs> durable, I guess. Of, um, yeah. So are, are of they, that kind of. It's... So I was going to say those those particular trees, are they are they cut down because someone wants to save them from being um no, publicly it, damaged or just just chopped down as part of a deforestation program? Or? No, no, no. They are. I mean, uh, really. That's here. People uh, are. We had a like a preservation program that goes pretty far back. I think compared to so many countries. So there is. It's not that there isn't a, a will to preserve these things. Uh, there is, but not always. The stories are are really known, and there's not really a central place where people can go in and see these stories. Okay. It's more like uh, this. This part of Denmark has this tourist. Uh, web page and they will have one story and but more related to the trees actually they are fallen by either by disease or by storm or, or things yeah so, just just age 
yeah. dying out and then starting to rot. So it happens. And and but it's interesting. Some of these trees, they um, they aren't that old, uh, but they have very old um, origins, sort of. At least the uh, the legends surrounding them. Um, there's there's an old oak uh, nearby where I live, uh, which can be translated as the rag oak. It's called Kludein. It's uh, it's one of the most famous uh, eye trees in Denmark. You know, a tree where where true branches have uh, regrown together, creating a hole. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of uh, magic and folklore associated with with them. Uh, this tree is one of the most famous ones uh, surviving, but these have been found all over Denmark and I believe uh, United Kingdom as well. It's sort of similar to coin trees, yeah. where leaving an offering of cloth and doing uh, uh, some particular rituals crawling through the hole and uh, the tree will heal your disease or s- some other uh, boon, I think. Um, and there's a lot of... Uh, uh, rules about these traditions uh doing it on a thursday night uh at a full moon or new moon i forgot and doing it from a, a certain uh, position to to another doing it naked doing it a specific number of times and a lot of this is is basically a fertility cult ritual which can sort of be traced back to perhaps the bronze age but this, this tree is no more i think at at top, it's it's uh, four hundred years old. So uh, this is a tradition that has survived. When you've found a new eye tree, uh, there has been uh, traditions attached to it. That's, that's really remarkable. Yeah, you, yeah uh, there is also examples actually of uh, some of these legend, legendary trees called, uh, for example, um, let's say it's an oak tree, but it's called the plague. Um, uh, what is another tree? Uh, the, the plate birch or something. Uh, because it used to be a birch, but then it it went down and uh, they planted an oak. But the tradition from the same place still continued. Oh, so it continued uh, to the next one. Okay, I understand. Yeah. So, uh, but there's a lot of things with trees. There's also these. Um, actually, it's not birches. I was looking for the word for less churn. Churn. Yeah. I, f- I forgot it as well. <laughs> but it was a place where you buried uh, the plague victims from the different plague uh, cycles that were. And they there was a lot of fear connected to them, understandably, because they didn't understand how the disease spread in this. So so when you saw these specific trees around in the countryside, okay. people would walk <laughs> around. It, it looks similar to a Rowan. I forgot the name. That's okay. But oh. I, I guess that that's perhaps why the, is that why the tree was planted, to be that kind of natural hmm. warning yeah for, there was some kind of tradition that we don't know how far it goes back but but it um we've had a lot of these like wise men and women which has been in the uk and all over the world also in different ways um they had a function up until these around 100 something years ago when not many um actually a good friend of mine his uh, grandfather was the last uh, of his kind of uh, wise men on Bonholm. The island that yeah, yeah, yeah. They they so. have been they have survived there for for a long time. I uh, I know a guy in his seventies who who remembers uh, a wise woman from his youth, like in the seventies. Yeah. 
but here in the mainland it's it's oh well we're not even on the mainland but but in the the main part of the country we it's it's not much anymore if you tell somebody on the street or ask somebody do you know a wise woman or they will look at you like what the fuck <laughs> even yeah. in small small towns and well, so how, how rural is areas of Denmark? Is that I'd say I'll, I'll pretend because I, I simply don't know. Is is there concentrations of population and then there's lots of sporadic? How how, how what's the kind of densification like? I, I get more. I get surprised actually. I I used to think that it was less rural than it actually is, but still it's not as rural as as you can as you would like or mm. what can you say? No, I th- I think it's it's uh, all is relative, but. But uh, it's sort of comparable to, yeah, UK. Yeah, cause here with with some very more... dense areas and some some less dense areas. I think the uh, our countryside is much larger than than UK comparably. Yeah, uh, yeah you're to, more dense to the rest of the country. Yeah, because I, I live in Nottingham, which is famous for Sherwood Forest. But there's Sherwood yeah. Forest now is perhaps a four mile square, if that. It's it's yeah. awful. <laughs> But that's the interesting part about the UK because I've I've traveled there a lot and uh, of course also know a lot of the legends which are more famous outside of the country. Or, but uh, you have a much more active uh, the, compared to how big a population or how dense the population is. You have a lot more uh, going on than here. Uh, for I guess there could be several reasons, but it's it's an interesting thing how the superstition kind of uh, died here early. It's kind of one of my pet projects to no, that's, that's an, try that's, to find out. That's an interesting point, actually, because I, I do know a lot of people who are um, within the paranormal, the supernatural, the ufology circle, and they are pretty replete across the entire country. You can always find a kind of group who has an interest in the unexplained somewhere. You yeah, always can. Ghosts, yeah, so um, many ghosts. Uh, yeah, and, uh, it's true. And there was a while, I'd say probably 2013, 14, where you couldn't find one. It was very, very small. Then there's a massive boom happened after that. I think there's a couple of like cable TV shows over here that are literally running almost 24-hour supernatural, most haunted-like shows. So that's, yeah. that's generated a lot of interest into those subjects again. Um, there's the British MOD. A lot of files have come into, since 2010, freedom of information requests uh, of UFOs are really popular. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of keeps the story up, keeps the story going. There's new stories that come out all the time due to declassified documents and so on. But mm. a good example, uh, I mean, uh, uh, this about big cats in the UK, for example. Yeah. Uh, I have so many sightings, uh, and how can you can of course explain some parts with different kind of of mentality. I don't know, but but like you say, Nottingham, uh, Sherwood Forest is so small. Uh, I I don't know that that is like a hotspot for for these kind of sightings but so many places where there are hotspots for these sightings it's not really supposed to be but it still is it's not like that in Denmark you're absolutely right there's um so Lancashire which is um maybe about 40 miles that way from here um Lincolnshire as well um has a lot of big cat sightings certainly down um uh, the Bristol which is the um southwest of the country there's a lot in that kind of area it's quite um, open rural land there um, generally, the descriptions are pretty similar. It's usually a rather large cat. It appears to be a leopard or a lynx of some kind. Um, uh, it's. I don't understand what they're feeding on. What if they can survive a, a long um, population there? I think during the seventies and eighties, a lot of the rich households had cats. You know, in mm. cages in the household, 
Um, there's a there's a town that's right next to the one I'm in called uh, Hucknall, and there used to be a zoo there. The zoo got basically shut down in the 1980s due to cruelty to animals, and they literally just let the animals go. And that <laughs> happened um, all across the country. Um, there yeah, was like a, like, yeah oh, I read there was uh, an act in uh, 1976 or something like yeah, that. Yes, so a lot of animals just were just let go. Um, yeah. this, famous... was, uh, this law thing up on the 70s. Uh, uh, no, but uh, it's, of course, uh, I can explain some of it, and there was some cats that were caught, uh, but just the sheer amount of, of yeah. uh, eyewitness. I, I, okay, you talked uh, about Bristol. I was in Bristol a year ago, and I just casually talked with one of the, we were there on a course, uh, this kind of a educational uh, course, and um, I just talked with him about the subject, and he said, oh yeah, I saw one. I was in the bus with my friend, um, it was around Liverpool, uh, Manchester, I can't remember, and oh, the bus stopped, and they looked up, and they saw a panther lying up on the on the bridge and they both saw it i was like there was no doubt about it yeah and the thing is about cats cats love the sun right so you would think they'll be seen more often yeah Uh, yeah anyway it's it's a it's a whole topic but we don't have these kind of things as crazy here if you want to call it crazy but as um detailed or as as much of it it's it's not like that here unfortunately but there are other things yeah i was going to say so the other thing so of course the one thing i noticed you guys have a lot of is uh ufology topics um and the ufos is, is that a really a crazy thing over there is that is that a big topic no actually not i mean it's another kind of these things that that kind of died out the the superstition around them i'm saying that quite kind of uh not in a derogatory way but i think that that the belief in these things they they keep them going and and we had some organizations and some things here that did that that um the belief the broad belief of it kind of died out a little bit but looking through the old cases we have a lot compared to to the rest of the world the same types of cases uh, happened here uh, for a long time so but it's it's not really so much uh, we 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 have some uh, ufo cases as part of of the hidden mark project here but it's uh, so many of them cannot be pinpointed so so we don't have so much of it because it's so difficult to say that somebody saw something from some place in a city but you don't really know how is it located to that city? Because the next city could have seen the same. And yeah, so. it's also a, a question of uh, we want to show people places, and, yeah, and exactly. it's it's not. Uh, I mean, a pavement where someone saw a UFO, UFO, it's it's not particularly interesting yeah, to exactly. go there. Yeah, compared to a, a pagan old tree or something like that. You're right. But we are going to have a, a section on the. We're going to have a web page coming mm-hmm. up soon, and there will be a section that we've written a lot of. Detailed files, uh, a lot with which had not much exposure until now. So it, it's going to be a part. But the main thing is is kind of making a map of, of these places. Just like let's say you can actually you can go there and you can see this burial mound or this uh, dolmen or uh, chamber or. So it might be a bit odd for me to say is that dolmens are a topic. I'm not. I'm familiar with. So, I guess for the wider audience, how would you describe what a dolmen is and their cultural significance? What, what is that? Les? Yeah. Um, I'm not particularly uh, uh, an expert in in in, uh, in the background archaeologically, but uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, megalithic uh, burial sites. 
strewn all over Denmark, especially in in my area and in, in the southeastern coastal, southeastern corner of Denmark. Um, and there's usually a lot of local folklore attached to these places. Um, a lot of them has been uh, torn down uh, to make a place for fields and farmlands over the years, or repurposing the stones in construction. Uh, but a lot of uh, the surviving ones have had uh, legends attached to them, and and about uh, someone from folklore being buried in there, or there being a treasure, or ghosts, or a lot of different kind of legends. Many yeah. of them have survived because of the legends, uh, actually. So yeah, yeah. There's also uh, uh, don't destroy the burial moon, or you will get cursed. Is there like yeah, yeah? Is there mm. like maps of what those locations are currently, or would, would the government have those? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of different ones. So we're we're trying to uh, collect the the ones that are. Um, most interesting to look at. A lot of them are just uh, very destroyed, just a part of rocks in a forest somewhere. Or... It's it's a bit of a balance, I guess, because some of them are really nice and they maybe not have the most interesting legend and others have a super interesting legend and are not that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the whole spectrum. So we're trying to strike a balance. Just one thing about the these different kind of um, grave mounds and all this. I mean, the, the dolmens, you can say they are among the oldest, uh, I guess going back to three to four thousand before Christ, and then you have the Yedistua, the passage graves. They come yeah. come after, but they are built in a very short period, actually, of a few hundred years. Uh, yeah, it's the final get... bigger culture. Oh, so, how, how do they structurally look differently? Uh, they are uh, bigger, and they have a, a the passage graves have like a passage inside where you can like walk into a. a or you say like a chambered area. Okay. Yeah. And what then would, uh, what would typically be inside? That, the the Bronze Age mounds okay. after that period. Sorry. So, well, gonna, so, so when you walk in one of these uh, these chambers, what would typically be found when they were excavated? Would it be like a a single skeleton? Would there be like their possessions, or what? What would typically be found there? Well, I mean, uh, it's different. Lasse can probably, I think you, you're you a lot more connected to uh, that kind of uh, the whole thing with the passage graves. But it was not, uh, it was maybe more of a ritual area than it was actually a grave uh, oh, okay. thing. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit different. Uh, some places it's, uh, it's very uh, collective graves for a, a family or a village uh, in other places it's more distinct into uh, yeah, certain families or a chieftain or something like that oh, but um, yeah I think they are they are very interesting locations to explore especially the ones that have been renovated um, so you can uh, enter them and and You'll need to crawl around for a lot of them, but uh, I went to one a couple of days ago, which has a huge chamber inside. It's not so that you can stand up; you can sort of crunch in there. But uh, it's it's uh, it's a really impressive uh, archi- uh, what what's it called architectural feat for the time. It's huge stones, and it's very uh, how do you say it? It's very neatly put. Um, yeah, really. 
it's uh, I, again, it's these uh, passage graves were built in what is it a four hundred year period or something, something like yeah, that. Yeah, the, the final big uh, period. Uh, the truck, truck, uh, uh. Yeah. Yeah, because in the UK you have kind of these odd graves too, where I, they're not always considered graves. That like the Stonehenge is like generally two pillars and then there's a mm. tea point on top. There's loads of those kind of um, structures across the country, but it'll just be two odd rocks and then there'll be another one placed on top with no idea how these people lifted a 80 ton um, massive piece of slate or um, chalk stone and put it on the top let alone balanced it because it's hard enough to make like a card tower let alone balancing a rock on these things and you go how did how was this happen and those kind of similar legends occur where uh, maybe someone's buried underneath it maybe it was a kind of shelter for someone Um, and people have strange uh, experiences when they're sat underneath one um mm. well that could be um psychoactive um could be a they'd have an unusual dream if they choose to sleep underneath it i wonder if that was the same kind of legends and experiences that people report there there's there's a good example of uh, i mean one of the main reasons that we have so many of these legends is because of a handful of people who were walking around denmark in the late 1800s uh, and the, the main guy is a guy called um Ibel Tank Christensen, he was a teacher uh, and he spent all his free time and money on visiting and collecting stories from the last of these uh, uh, families and, and people who who had these beliefs, uh, these folk beliefs. And he had a few interesting experiences, but one of them was that he fell asleep at a certain burial mound. Uh, he was so tired because he was just walking around the, the country all the time. And then he, he woke up uh, by what sounded like... Um, the, the lid of a, one of these treasure chests uh, inside the um, and it was so he felt that he was already awake I guess and then he heard it and he was oh this is the kind of stories I'm collecting all around and suddenly I'm, I'm hearing one of them because one of the big legends was this that the people the trolls whatever living in the mounds would slam their uh, their treasure chests and the sound may have come from a real experience already, and, and people have connected it with this. But so, so these people who were collecting these stories actually also experienced some of these things while they were collecting them. And it, it should be noted that Denmark has a, a particularly large collection of folklore because of people like Evel Tang Christensen. It's, it's, it's. Uh, I think at least I've I've been told that uh, it's uh, far more than than most other places in yeah. Europe and the world. Uh, it it's is very and, uh, extensive records. Yeah, it's it's quite. You need to know what to look for, and but they they systematized it, and and there are a lot of interesting things to still be discovered in mm. in those files. And this is like the middle of the nineteenth century, right? Or is it yeah, early? Yeah, the end. So, yeah. So the guy was getting yeah. around by carriage and by horse then, and trying to talk to everyone. Yeah. Walk- Walking around from village to village. Wow. There, there's a saying that when he entered a village, he he would listen to uh, a, a dog, uh, a dog shrieking by by his dying owner's bed. <laughs> Apparently, that was a common thing. So he would go to where someone was, uh, an old person was dying, and he would uh, he would ask them about these uh, legends and folklore before they were forgotten forever. Nice. And that's that was a common method of his. That sounds like a, a guy with a lot of passion to that to keeping those stories alive. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. Yeah. He was so there, and, and he wasn't really accepted because he was from a like lower class or 
like lower middle class. So it wasn't until years later that his uh, like contributions were really you know appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some people who did far less walking around, who were sitting more at the desk. They that helped him preserve these things, but I, I think he never really got. Uh, he never lived out his really full potential. But these now there are a lot of, he has a collection of eight. Uh, these I don't know if they're re, really reprinted anymore, but there have been many prints of these. Um, like it's almost like case books, uh, and there are things that relate to definitely what we could say is is UFO uh, related activity today, and a lot of crypto uh, crypto zoological uh, bordering um, cases. Of, of the Danish kind, it's it's basically the things that the people uh, that he was visiting. Maybe they didn't always believe it anymore, but definitely you can hear that that they were been told by somebody who believed it or yeah. was close enough to. And some of these things may have a basis in some kind of reality. Uh, yeah, of course. Mm, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that's, that sounds incredible. I mean, the fact that there's a a person who actually made it their almost life mission to make those things recorded. Um, yeah, and it, it's that kind of story that makes you inspired to do it yourself. Is that I need to make sure that these stories and our culture and our traditions and our folklore are not lost. And that's yeah, yeah. a powerful force to make you want to do that. I, mean, I feel it myself, so I, I know where that's coming from. I'm really, I'm really impressed by someone like Ivar Tankerson, especially because I mean, yeah, the dedication and the uh, yeah, the whole all the groundwork he kind of put for all this stuff uh, for us to work with. Uh, yeah. Super cool. But so, how many more people do you think are unlike yourselves who are putting that kind of things together to record folklore? Um, is is there <sighs> is there many people who are willing to say let let's let's help? Um, in in some level, you mean uh, other people in Denmark who yeah, are? Yeah, so in Denmark, yeah. So, oh, so that's say the country. Do you have much of a network of people who are really interested in doing the similar thing as you guys are doing? We don't really, but I mean, we, we would like to have. That's kind of what yeah, I would yeah. to have, actually. Uh, it's. I think a lot of people, uh, there, there are some, a guy here, a guy there, who has like probably huge knowledge about specific areas of these kind of things, but mm-hmm. we haven't connected with them yet. Uh, it's very little of this is, is funded in a, in, a, in a big way. There are some exceptions. The, this Ona uh, Jordisk phenomenon on Bornholm, uh, it was funded in a big way uh, by the government actually mm. but um it's it's not really in that sense something that uh, people maybe do it more out of curiosity or yeah. um, i don't know I, i'm really hoping that that with this project we can also attract somebody who would, can say hey i actually found out a lot about this maybe you should yeah local historians and stuff yeah. like that yeah yeah i can see that I mean, so is, Even is, if they don't live in i was gonna say so and what's been the reaction so far from what people have... So when you've presented your information to people, what's been kind of their reactions to the stories that you've been telling? I think overwhelmingly positive, especially uh, sometimes we share uh, our posts in uh, in the area where, where they're from, and uh, a lot of people think it's really interesting. They've walked by this place for all their lives and didn't know the story about it. So it's, I think... People, as I said earlier, people like living in an interesting place, and our stories help make their place interesting, or at least the the sharing of them. 
Yeah, I, did, did I read, I know I might be incorrect, that you were looking to produce kind of like audio tours, is that right? Mm. Yeah, um, like uh, we actually only have one right now, uh, but we have begun to work on a few others. Um, there's some different reasons why it's a little more complicated than we first thought. Mm. Uh, well, first of all, um, we wanted to make it a little more touristically available, and because of the coronavirus situation, sure. uh, not much tourism. Uh, the other thing is uh, it has to be interesting enough to take the trip in itself, I mean, from point to point. Um, mm. Some of these points can be a lot further from each other than you first think. Yes, uh, yeah. So that's yeah. a little bit of a challenge, but I think as soon as we gather enough points during uh, the years, then suddenly we can see a cluster of things and then we can start to move more like, uh, let's say, efficiently around it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a, when you get enough uh, out into the country, there's there's a lot of distance between locations. So it's, it's easier in a big city like Copenhagen, where you perhaps have to walk for a couple of minutes until the next uh, story shows up. Yeah, so that's that's one problem. Uh, it's other kinds of attractions in the city. I mean, it's uh, you will have some old houses, and and but you know you won't have these uh, monuments uh, that go that far back, or these um, like these crosses that are raised different places in the country to commemorate something that nobody remembers, but there is some curse kind of thing related to it. All that is is not uh, in the center. So there, you we are focusing on something more like how statues and and different buildings had some stories connected to them, mm. uh, which could be also bordering on poltergeist and ghost stories, which there are a lot of, actually. That's uh, interesting. So I guess, would it be, would the audience therefore be more of a, the those kind of solo adventurers or those groups that would benefit from that rather than, say, a tour? Yeah, it's a good... Uh, uh, what do you think, guys? Yeah. I think uh, it's, it's, it's a positive thing that is very flexible and uh, especially with how a lot of uh, tourism happens these days you want to make your own adventure you want to find your the unique places on your own and i think we can uh, we can uh, provide that yeah. so you can you can go searching yourself uh, it's, it's also fun. as a dane exploring your your area exploring areas of your country you didn't know but also as a tourist you can uh, you can take the plane to copenhagen and rent a car and go out into the country and s- skip all the main tourist attractions and, you know, really uh, was, explore some hidden locations. I was thinking in my head, how, how does that look? If I was having to find a bit of technology like a phone or uh, something, how, how would I get those stories? And I guess you've probably brainstormed that yourselves. I, mean, I, I would think it's some kind of like Google Map-like program where you have everything pinpointed. And then when you get there, it plays the audio or the story, and then you can act it out or follow it through. Is, is that what you guys are looking to do? Yeah, I mean, the, the first uh, introduction, I, I used a lot of time uh, back a few years ago to check out all these options that are that already were existing. Because in the beginning, it was a little bit like, ah, oh, should, we, should we make an app? Should we get a, an app made? But making an app is like huge, and it's it's very expensive. And uh, it was more like, okay, maybe we can find somebody something already existing that, that can, uh, can do what we were after. So we found this uh, called Voice Map. It's not the only one of its kind, but I think it's the the most um, the most straightforward uh, and the less least buggy of the ones I've tried. Um, 
So there you can make your tours and you can upload them to them. And for a fee, uh, every time you sell a tour, every time somebody says, okay, I'm going to try this and download it, uh, there is a, a split of the amount. And, and in that way, it's like a 50-50 because they provide a lot of the promotion through um, uh, things like TripAdvisor. And uh, so people would search there and they would look oh, for okay. tours in, in Denmark and, and we would come up and... Um, Awesome. And it's been really good ratings. I mean, we've had only one four star. The rest is five out of five. Okay. Okay, so, so that's I'm surprised uh, so many people really caught on to it. Um, I guess it was what they they were looking for. So. Yeah, but it sounds really good. I saw what you're drinking there, man. What you got? <laughs> and, uh, Outback Ten. Oh, good, good choice. Excellent. So my, my yeah, unfortunately just... is in my kitchen all the way over there, so I can't quite get my <laughs> Just taking a very mild brew today. So. I do have cold coffee though, but I guess uh. this is not good. Uh, not good. Uh, not good. Um, oh, so it's really good. Yeah. It's really interesting that there is so much um, culture and tradition. Because when I when I think, I guess, of Denmark and uh, that kind of area, I, I guess naturally mine goes to Vikings and so on, the Danes. Hmm. Um, so, is, do, would those stories of those um, characters also play into your historical tours? Lesson. Sort of, sort of. There's a lot of uh, rune stones that we would uh, certainly uh, include, but uh, there's and and uh, a lot of uh, you could, we call them ship burials. It's like a, a ship made out of stones, uh, like a burial mound. Yeah. Uh, certainly unique places so so we'll add those but not a lot of mm, locations mentioned in the sagas and stuff like that we we haven't uh, we haven't looked into it yet at least but it it doesn't play that huge a part in later folklore at least mm. not directly perhaps some of these stories have origins in in uh, the viking age or or thereabouts and have survived uh, in other ways, certainly a lot of the uh, the Norse gods have uh, have survived uh, in folklore uh, uh, under different names. Yeah. Like uh, a lot of them turned into Catholic saints, or Catholic saints with uh, similar characteristics uh, were worshipped where uh, a Norse god was yeah. before. And there's, there's a lot of that in the UK too. Certainly. Um... As you go west across England into certainly into Ireland, you find that it's like Celtic Christianity, as it's called, where you see a mm. merging of both faiths together, uh, where characters mm. and uh, locations have um, Viking elements and uh, Celtic and Gaul elements with um, Christian characteristics, and it's quite mm. fascinating to watch. Some of the buildings are really beautiful. You can see uh, the inspiration of what they were trying to do, what they were trying to get at, and that the, what was motivating them to do that was was faith and beauty. Um, but yeah, the st stories survive in other ways. Uh, they evolve. Mm, exactly. Yeah, there. What is? I, Les, you maybe remember his name, but there is at least one person here who is arguing that actually Denmark never became Christian. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm reading a book about a guy called Fleming Christian Nielsen, and his his main argument is that uh, paganism never died out. They just uh, called their gods different names and continued the traditions well into the 19th century. Yeah, I've heard some of the stuff here. I mean, I'm a member of, um, well, a formerly member of Pagan Pride here, which was a uh, an organization that sought to celebrate pagan roots within, across the country. And uh, so a lot of people 
from the uh, the magical and the occult and the esoteric were very much connected together who would come to this festival uh, in Nottingham and it, it ran for like eight nine years and I, I, made, I basically was a logistics manager I made the events happen um, oh, yeah. Oh, so you're okay. Yeah. Um, so it's really good to see all these different people come from all these different places. And here's me, like a, I'm just a sponge with this information, talking to the right people, and that that's yeah. what I kind of tapped into. Um, so I managed to speak to some really, I had to use the word high people, but people of you know notable value within that community, within that pagan, the druidic um, circles, the magical, the mysteries and stuff. And uh, oh. I could love just just spending hours just talking with them. Um, yeah. So, I, no, and Anglesey also, which uh, was guess uh, the Druid Central uh, for many years, uh, Anglesey and Wales, the yeah. island. Uh, I have an interesting UFO story from there, actually. Oh, cool. Nice. I can mention it later in the program, or yeah, um, if, you, if you want to, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, because do you guys want to focus more on the the paranormal side, or is it more of the the legends and the history, the myth? You... I, I have a I have a definite interest in the let's say paranormal side of it. That's that's for sure. Um, I I think uh, we all have, but to different degrees. Uh, I think I I have more like a fortean kind of outlook on it. Um, uh, not like a all one size fits all kind of outlook, but in a way, uh, I am kind of looking for patterns and and how how things. Uh, can be explained. I am, but I'm interested in 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 these unexplained elements too, which are like still out of reach of, of immediate understanding. Is, is that the same uh, with you, Lassie? I think I have more of an uh, amateur historian interest in this. Yeah. And and for me, it's a lot of it's it's mainly about uh, portraying these stories and and getting them out to a wider audience, and and certainly. Uh, uh, I think I had an uh, a goal of making the landscape interesting again. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're one of the safest countries on earth and uh, we have a high level of social equality and, and it's it's all very nice and it can get a bit boring. So so I think it's it's uh, it's a goal of mine to to how do you say re-enchant the landscape and and a huge part of that is finding these locations that uh, that have have a lot of folklore about them are really interesting and unique and almost forgotten or I mean uh, not very appreciated and uh, communicating these to people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Our our interests overlap in in different ways. It's it's interesting because I also don't know less. It's like full. Beliefs, I guess, uh, but uh, it's it's different from mine for sure because I have a background in in like ufology and reading so many years about cryptozoology, and I, I'm looking at it in in maybe a little bit different way. But I basically have the same approach. Uh, I feel that that it's it. I I was sitting like, damn, it can't be that Denmark is so boring. There must be something out there that uh, that we can find. And then you start looking into it, and uh, you see, okay, there are these areas. Mm. It's just that the interest or the belief around them, it kind of got cut off at some point. Uh, yeah. But we really do have some interesting stories. Uh, we can mention something like the, um, uh, what we call it, the Olebula. Um mm. Mm. It's a name uh, which actually maybe has, uh, we'll say, relates to Thor. 
Okay. So that, that's, a good, that's a good part, place to start, isn't it? I guess Thor is a very known character. I guess Marvel's kept it alive and well as a as a you know a continuing evolution of that character's name into folklore and now to pop culture. So shall we uh, shall we start there as a story? No, it was just yeah we can actually, but uh, it was just to mention one of these kind of areas uh, which was unique in Denmark, uh, which I I wouldn't have imagined existed. There is this uh, stone head in the top of a church. Uh, Hundred kilometers west of Copenhagen, uh, which it's, I mean, it's it's not really uh, something super spectacular when you first look at it, but the stories around them uh, go from that that it was a giant that was killed, and uh, people used the head when it rained with the water when it came to the head they used it to heal themselves and drank it, and like really like it happened in Denmark, uh, it probably happened till two hundred years ago, uh, so there are these areas still around in the landscape and and even a, a lot on churches uh, mm. which had these um pagan rituals actually uh, connected to them uh, basically uh but but i mentioned it about thor because some people have connected this head to uh, uh some kind of a worship of, of thor or thor cult or something yeah uh, so but we can definitely talk about the, the gods i'm just not much uh Leslie knows a lot, a lot more about that than me. So, do you want to jump in on that, Leslie? Yeah, yeah. I, I, as I was saying earlier, a lot of the uh, the pagan gods got sort of appropriated by the Christian Church, or uh, perhaps the uh, the population found saints that that uh, fitted the characteristics of uh, of the deities and uh, worshipped them instead of the gods. And uh, one famous example is uh, Saint Olaf, uh, a Norwegian uh, saint who was uh, popular in Denmark and Sweden and Norway. Uh, who was, I think, he was a Jarl on uh, Orkney uh, or the Shetland Islands or something like that. And uh, he was sort of a Scandinavian saint, uh, an early saint. He was very popular with the uh, with the peasant population in the in the country. I mean, most of the country was countryside back then, but but. There's a lot of similarities in in his worship and the uh, and the worship of Thor. And uh, I remember reading a story recently where, uh, in ancient times, uh, before the first uh, seed was put into the ground, uh, an idol of Thor was carried over the field. And uh, a couple of centuries later, the same thing happened, but it was like an icon of uh, Saint Olaf. So he just took over the responsibilities of, of uh, Thor. And uh, this has happened in a lot of places. Uh, if we look at the uh, the holy springs or the holy wells found all over the country, natural springs which have uh, uh, been giving uh, healing properties in folklore, these places were so popular even until as late as 100 years ago in some places. And uh, a lot of their... Uh, uh, the archaeology has has shown that they've been used since perhaps the Bronze Age and certainly in the Viking Age, and a lot of their place names can be traced back to uh, pagan gods, not Christian gods. In sometimes they they've uh, they've gotten rebranded, and yeah. some of them have not. And you could see it's it's um, oh I forgot was it Tiersta or. Yeah, the uh, Tibiger, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which could be a, tr- a tribute to, to the god uh, Tyr. 
So, so uh, there's a lot of uh, place names with pagan origin all over Denmark, of course, and uh, a lot of evidence of these holy springs having been uh, used and visited uh, before Christianity, and then after Christianity, it was uh, saying this or that uh, spring instead of uh, a pagan god. Yeah. And this is the same thing about the trees. I mean, there's a lot of example of how Christianity certainly became the new religion, but it it took over a lot of the old uh, responsibilities. So you did as you used to, so to speak. I've actually been listening, I've been listening to a book actually that you guys might find really interesting. Um, it's by Brian uh, Maranescu, who is a um, he's a. Oh, fact, well, I should get his name correctly. Uh, yes, yeah, Mura Eskew. Um, the book is called The Immortality Key. And it's called The Secret History of the Religion with No Name. It's, it's quite a new release, actually. And uh, Graham Hancock wrote the um, the foreword for that. And I've got it on Audible. It's, it's actually read by the okay. author as well. And uh, it talks about how, particularly in the Middle East, that he's trying to find... Uh, he's a classicist, and uh, he's also a scholar and a um, historian with a bit of a sense of humour about things. So he's trying to find the origin of uh, the kuklion, which is a, a kind of beverage drink from ancient Greece. Uh, the It was used at Demetrius Temple, and it was given to people in uh, as a sacrament in, in their worship of Dionysus, and how that evolved to become the Christian Eucharist. Uh, that uh, basically uh-huh. about how ergot-infused beer and uh, spiked wine effectively has evolved, and how that, that was given people uh, hallucinogenic... Um, um, experiences or a psychoactive um drink basically uh, that is how um the the characteristics of different gods were transmitted between areas is that they were having a quite profound experience through the beer or the, the wine that they were having so and he was talking in that book particularly when um christianity was starting to grow and how it was the same i don't want to say the same the same people but uh, the people they were showing the sacrament to were then starting to distribute it under the name of, of Christ, basically. So well before it was in the eras of, of Demeter and in the eras of Apollo and so on, um, and Dionysus, there were, this, as Christianity was coming in, the, the sacrament method and what they were doing was the same, but effectively it was renamed. So the mm. experience was still the same. The psychoactive experience where they were having a relationship with God or the gods um, was still continuing, but it was kind of under a new brand, a new name. Um, and so it kind of transmitted over time and that's why it's so not necessarily the religion is so widespread it's just the, the celebration of what they were having is really being celebrated so that uh, that um, drugged wine or that um, ergot infused beer was what actually is, is being celebrated and that's what got so wide particularly into Spain, into the south of the UK across most of Asia going down into Africa is that the experiences they were having the, the the drug they were taking effectively the hallucinogenic experiences actually yeah. what was being transmitted so the gods were almost interchangeable because they were having the same experience so when i hear you saying about well that this this god transformed into this one you, you you've got to powerfully change the culture there but the culture doesn't really change they, they, their experiences mm. still stay the same um it just gets rebranded and renamed just because there's a new po- new politics are in power really half the time for yeah sure, for sure well, it's really, I mean, I, I find it really interesting how these things uh, originate and spread. And um, the, the thing about the saints, uh, it's also the same in, in, in places South America, Cuba, with the yeah. Santeria and Palamayombe and all this, where where the where it was another kind of guys that the, that this came into. 
in Denmark, I don't know if we had uh, that much of, of. There may also have been a psychedelic tradition that that is more strong than we know. Uh, it's definitely possible, um, where they used it actively to to kind of ease people into new. Um, it's it's possible if you go far enough back around the church time. I don't really know what what um, what actively happened, but definitely there was a balancing act for the church to to find out which parts were like, ooh, which parts parts can we include, and which parts mm. do we have to kind of like make some yeah. uh, resistance towards it. And which and, do we have to give up? Uh, yeah, removing like uh, uh, Christmas Yule, yeah. you know. <laughs> The, yeah. the, the, the great springs, pagan the light feast. Yeah. They couldn't get rid of the Holy Springs for two reasons. Because one, okay, they were very, very popular. Uh, people uh, found use of them. But also they found a way that that uh, to get donations in that way. So it became like they, the church became dependent on the donations from the pagan springs. Um, and then they kind of made it a little bit more easy by uh, putting a saint name on it. But as soon as we hit the Reformation with the Protestantism coming... It became difficult again because then even the saints were not okay. Uh, so it's it's like, yeah, the tradition continuing. It's very interesting to see how it um, it morphs over the years. Uh, it's really interesting. We talk about so like Yule and the celebrations that happened around that time. Um, when you see like uh, I guess what is often known as the uh, the time of misrule, which is like from um, it's, I think from December twenty fifth to January the sixth, which is generally. Where things can get a little bit cheeky, you can get a bit crazy. Um, it's where uh, traditionally the the jester would take control of the court, as it's would be often mm. called. Yeah. Um, it's like Saturnalia. That's right. So it's the kingdom of misrule. Then on January the sixth, it it's a, you um, it goes back to normal. And I, I found similar celebrations to be found often. Like it's when you would clean your house out, as it were. You would have your house banishing ceremonies. Um, and you find the same patterns are repeated across the world in the same kind of periods of time. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. I guess there was one interesting that, that Simon, our third person who's not here, um, he made me aware of <clears throat> that, that on our uh, royal um, emblem, the royal uh, shield, we have these uh, wild men um, with clubs and it's really difficult to find out why these wild men are on that. Uh, Greece has it as well, uh, but it's something that you have a lot of a tradition also in the UK. And this, there, there have been made. I think Richard Freeman and others have made, and Carl Schuker have made this uh, connection to, uh, like these in the UK they're called wood roses. Uh, these wild men of the woods, which kind of relate to borderline Bigfoot stories and. Uh, so it's possible we even had some of these in our history um, because there are some stories about a, a famous uh, clan uh, here who got their um, their wealth after meeting a wild man in the woods. And uh, so there are these kind of, they're far back in time, but you can still find them, these ideas about wild people living in the woods. And then Santa Claus is another kind of these things that uh, these uh, people, uh, figures, who grew out of this wild man uh, tradition? There's a book written about it, uh, Santa Claus, Last of the Wild Men. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. Because mm. uh, yeah. obviously, uh, there's the celebration of Krampus, which I think was yesterday. I saw advertised all across Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Santa Claus, and uh, I think that's almost uh, interconnected with this just this time of year about a person coming to your house and potentially dropping stuff through your chimney because it was the only way to get stuff to you, uh, like a secret message or some kind of like secret berries. 
that you can have. Yeah. Um, mm. And I was I was reading something the other day that uh, so I think it's a caribou. Uh, it's just related to a reindeer. When it eats a certain yeah. a certain kind of berry, that when it obviously excretes the berry, it actually changes its um, chemical. And when you eat it, it gives you a, a real high, as it were. And that's what people were doing. People were using that as a kind of um, um, hallucinogenic experience. Is <laughs> eating messy eating berries that pass through a caribou. <laughs> that's the reason why. They yeah, yeah, that's the that's yeah. Uh, Sami thing uh, from northern Sami. Norway and that's Sweden, right. where the reindeers would eat uh, mushrooms. I think yeah. psychedelic mushrooms. And and you would drink the urine, and it, yeah. it would, or I don't remember if it was mushrooms, but it likely was. <laughs> it likely was some sort of psychedelic plant for sure. Yeah. Um, so like Schnappnir and so on, are they eight-legged reindeer? <laughs> yeah, mm. it's a new idea about a new thought. What it really is all about. But the here a lot of our traditions here, as far as I understand, the last hundred years have come from Charles Dickens. Uh, oh really? Uh, yeah. The not all of, we don't have things like the yule log i think you have that in the uk yeah, or we have a, uh, yeah it's a traditional i guess we don't have it so much anymore because all the fireplaces got turned into gas but uh traditionally oh, yeah. before that you would have like a, a thick log that you'd burn all christmas um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't have that but we had so many things from the christmas tale or christmas story what it's called uh People, people here think that is something oh we've always done this but yeah. if you go 100 years a little more than 100 years back there were different traditions completely and songs and uh, so yeah yeah if if you go back to the 7th or the 18th century there's a lot of uh, really to our yeah, strange uh, christmas rituals uh, okay. especially for the youth young people in the village okay. and there's a lot of their they're called yulelai christmas games or yule Naughty, games naughty things they are as a borderline sexual <laughs> activities for for uh, the young people of the village and uh, they are very well documented, and uh, they are believed to be uh, a remnant of some sort of fertility midwinter ritual. But to these people, they were just—it's what we do on Christmas. We play these games, and uh, yeah. I think that that's one example of how these things have survived, and how, again, you said that it's a mischievous time of the year. Yeah. So, what are the kind of? Um... What else happens at this kind of year in, like, say, Denmark traditionally? What would what would typically happen? Like, as I say, a family home. Uh, what traditions would be kind of spoke about? Um, we have the Christmas tree. It's a it's a, a center of everything, I guess. Uh, mm. You can't have Christmas without that tree. And uh, one thing which I've noticed because I've I've had a lot of lot to do with um, also young people from around uh, Europe. I do a lot of international projects, uh, youth projects. And uh, we are the only one, as far as I can see, who dances around the tree, uh, like in a circle. Interesting. <laughs> because we we had to demonstrate it as kind of part of a cultural like exhibition, and people were like, "What? What are you doing?" <laughs> so you don't have the tree? Yeah, we have the tree, but we don't necessarily walk around it in a circle without purpose. That's that was a little bit like. It's, okay. really, it's, <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I think as a child I can remember that people did that. I can remember, I can, the, I can remember the that people used to join their hands together um, yeah. and they would walk around in a circle once so many times and back the other way. That, that's, yeah. that's a remnant in my mind. But, but don't, you don't do it. You don't do it. Not generally, no, no. Same mm. with like um, mistletoe above a door is quite an interesting um, celebration. That's not so much done now because 
Mister was so hard to come by. I, I've never seen him Ro- say I was a child. That's so. <laughs> well, yeah. when I was a child, yeah. it was pretty replete everywhere. Like green grocers would often sell it like independent shops, um, but they're, they're pretty much all gone now. So that's probably why we don't get it any longer. And tradition was you'd you'd hang it above your door, so when people yeah, came in, yeah. you would you'd kiss and then you'd greet them and they would come in. Mm. Fertility it's, ritual. Yeah. Again, yeah, it has some some relation to older. Uh, yeah. Uh, an interesting thing in in Scandinavia and in, in Denmark is the uh, the association of uh, uh, Nissa elves gnomes with Christmas. Yeah. Because if you go back into the legends and the folklore, these were not a, a Christmas thing. These were just uh, a house spirit that you need to stay on good terms with. And would help you, would help you with the harvest, and and would bring good luck to your house, and uh, make sure the lightning didn't struck down and it didn't burn down, and and otherwise, if you didn't give offerings, uh, to, today the popular offering is is uh, rice pudding uh, for the the nisa, but uh, back in the day it, it probably was the same or porridge or something like that, and uh, you had to uh, stay in good terms with with the the house spirit. Um, otherwise, very bad things could happen, and this this thing has survived. Um, but as a Christmas tradition now, you don't hear of them the rest of the year. That's pretty interesting as well. It is because I, I wonder where that would have began. Is that there would some a a house spirit in, a, in, a, in the form of a small being would come to your house and uh, would help you and give you berries and food and perhaps something warm for your house. And, mm. and when you were talking earlier about subterranean creatures and small people. Yeah, well, I wonder if they'd help somehow tie in together in some way. There's a um, there's a couple of legends here about small beings who live like in in caves and in woodlands here. So you see the the, the difference uh, between here and Norway, for example, with with these creatures because we have also trolls here, but in Norway it was much more easy to imagine that trolls could be these big big creatures uh, because there was the they have well rock mountains and and all this, and we are so flat. So our uh, our um, uh, like creatures of the humanoid kind, they are much smaller in stature, actually, uh, and especially these very small ones like Vanessa. Uh, mm. it's, it's very much a house thing, and maybe close to a little mound that it was living, and then it would go around the house, not just in Christmas, but all year round, and uh, mm. or live in the house, live in the or attic, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, there's actually one more thing which uh, when you were talking about this question about uh, the tradition from Greece and all this, um, the folklorists here about around hundred years ago also found out that um, one of our most popular uh, legends uh, is actually one of these about uh, one of these gnomes living in the house. Okay. Um, it came all the way from Greece uh, and started as a kind of a story about the uh, Pan, the god Pan, who was yeah. dead. Uh, there was a woman here, a folklorist. She she traced it all through Germany, all the way down uh, to Greece, and and it mutated all the way around Denmark to the point that we even have like at least twenty or thirty variations of the same one. Oh really? Uh, uh, it's something like a man goes by a mound and he hears uh, a voice from inside the the burial mound that uh, somebody has died, and then he goes home. And he tells his wife, hey, uh, did you hear that blah, blah is dead? And suddenly the little creature comes out from the stove or someplace like, oh, is it true? Is he dead? I have to get going. 
and he goes, this story has been like a meme from the ancient times, which is yeah. uh, true, and it's it's super interesting. They are called Vachi legends, if yeah, people want to. Yeah. W-A-T-I. Interesting. Yeah. I, I wonder um, what what the spirit was up to. You know, you think of the psychology of it. Like, oh, so uh, that person's dead now, I've got to go. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, yeah, or or something like um, yeah. It's it's a good question. I don't know exactly for that one, but there are many many you can interpret in in different ways like that. Uh, uh-huh. But it's interesting that after the Christianization of Scandinavia, uh, uh, the worship of trolls and Nissa and Veda and uh, other supernatural beings or or just house spirits and nature spirits. It was something the church couldn't live with, so so uh, they became associated with uh, demons and uh, and the like. And uh, it's interesting that that these creatures have survived all through uh, up until recent times in folklore, uh, but they have they have become evil, <laughs> sort of in in the legends and and something to avoid. And there's a lot of legends about trolls and about how. Uh, uh, Back in the day, in the 17th century and stuff like that, the uh, the wives would make a cross in the in the dough when they were baking bread, so oh, the right. troll couldn't touch it because there was a cross on it. A cross on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it still happens and, here. <laughs> they still yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. <laughs> I don't actually realize that that's that's that interconnectedness. So yeah, that that's, that happens here too. They they put a small cross on the top of the pie. Yeah. Yeah, and the, also... and the same uh, in the grain, a pile of grains. All oh, right. That's really intriguing, actually. I you have to actually... remember, we had a lot of uh, back and forth between UK also. I mean, so there are probably some shared things from back at that time. For sure, a lot of things. A lot of similar legends. There's also there's a popular uh, thesis that uh, all of these spirits, it's basically uh, ancestor worship in some level. And that's, uh, that's what a popular uh, research project is. Um, found, uh, uh, Thomas mentioned it earlier, a research project of the subterraneans on Bornholm, which got a lot of press because uh, the story was that some scientists got uh, got funds to uh, research, uh, yeah, like elves. Uh, and it, it got portrayed as if he was to research uh, these obvious, obviously uh, made of things. But he he was researching into the folklore surrounding them and and how they play part in in uh, local folklore and local landscape descriptions, um, and I mean one of his main theses was that it's a form of ancestor worship that has just continued for a thousand years or more. So I wonder yeah. if that's why they were like the house elf. Is is that that tradition where? It would be your grandmother, yeah. Yeah, living tiny? living in the burial mounds of of the ancestors and stuff like that. Because people were buried there, so it would make sense that it was somebody's relation. And yeah, yeah. some someday they are a troll or an elf. It also has to be said that actually uh, we, because of our very early uh, securing these. Uh, burial mounds a lot of them have not been excavated so we don't actually know what's inside a lot of the ones uh it can be really interesting stuff but but i think they're waiting for the technology to actually get an idea from the outside what is what is in there uh 
but it's it's a big no-no. You cannot dig in them and and um, make excavations. So we we have actually a blank page in many of these uh, cases. So I guess um, you, I guess it would be an X-ray scan or a lidar scan might give you a kind of a shape or anything like that inside. Uh, but I like guess... the pyramids and uh, yeah. uh, I'm not sure actually. It's it's a, not an area I really should check up on it. Yeah. I think it's also uh, because of it's it's a costly affair to do an excavation. So uh, and there's a lot of places you could potentially excavate. Yeah. So that's why a lot of them are remained uh, unexcavated. That's a, what I'm reminded of right now is that I've got a copy of um, Legendary Times, which is the magazine put out by uh, Giorgio Tsoulikos, the guy who does Ancient Aliens. He has a book. Yeah, with the hair, the guy with the hair. Yeah, that's the one, the guy with the hair. Yeah. So <laughs> in, in that. I've got an issue with that. Um, I, I, I submitted some stuff to that magazine. And it was talking about mounds that are across... There's actually a lot of mounds across China um, mm. that, are relatively, yeah. that are relatively unknown. or And they um, there's an active process of actually destroying them and digging them up because they don't okay. want the population to find out what's there. They don't want them to have any um, spiritual, mm. uh, any kind of connection to their history of the past. There's an active um, process of them being destroyed and uh and how how awful that is when it's supposed to be part of our the world history um it's the fact that that's they're, they're found as far away as the, as the far east and alone here in the, the Middle east, west. Yeah. yeah the gulf area yeah. um and bahrain and and kuwait and these uh around the gulf um there was a lot of connection between danish uh archaeologists back in the 40s and 50s uh, actually a lot of our early diplomacy with many many of these uh countries were Based on on these archaeological uh, dealings, because we we taught them a lot about what these mounds were. Because an island like Bahrain, which is connected to Saudi Arabia, now I, I lived there for three years when I was a kid. I didn't know it until later, but the whole south of the island <clears throat> is completely littered with uh, with burial mounds of the same style as here. It's the same tradition, basically, of course, in the sand. Uh, but it's it's interesting how they found these relations all the way, like you say, in China and the Middle East, and uh, like there's been this this kind of movement of of, of this tradition. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder I wonder what the um, if there's similar traditions to be found like in America, particularly some of the Southern Americas. I'm not sure actually uh, how it is with the mounds, but um, there there are some. I'm not actually sure. Uh, I don't, it's not so much something I. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I remember reading about uh, burial mounds in, in North America at some point, but North America. Not... Yeah, North yeah. America for sure. I, I, I was going to wonder what, 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 what the oh, south, yeah. the south of the. Uh, yeah, northern, northern there is I know because they try to connect it with uh, with um, like uh, Native Americans, uh, but they have had to look a bit further in some cases. Mm. Uh, there's there's a lot of theories put forward that I, I don't have really an overview of but it's it's super interesting uh, yeah. what it what's going on uh, i was reading about a um, an excavation that happened uh into the clovis culture which is the, this the the pre-native american uh the general culture that may have existed and that's what archaeologists have put it to they call it the clovis culture they dig a 15, yeah. a 15 foot square pit of a regular place and um they found it there's like axes and um, flints at a certain depth but so the scientists thought it would be really interesting to actually dig down to the 25 feet before his excavation was due 
and still found stuff even further and further and further down that uh, it, it shows that there's a, there was a pre-Columbus um, culture, a pre-Native American culture going back almost 150,000 years um, of people or doing activity in this area um, in, 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 the, in the Clovis caves. And it's like, well, so how far does humanity really go back in a way that's organised? And I think that's, that's a big question about our culture and our world heritage. It all really knows, and we keep finding, it keeps getting older. There's, there's lots of uh, things that keep popping up that appear out of time um, due to the, the method that we've got um, across the public museums. There are archaeological records. We keep finding stuff that's almost out of, out of sync with what we know. And uh, I think we're being challenged to go back and rethink and re-examine it. Yeah. No, it's... Um... I don't know how much of that kind of thing also is here, but it's it's definitely uh, there. There are some uh, unanswered questions, to put it mildly. Yeah. Uh, about not only the the age of many things, but also like the real purpose of of a lot of the things that we like. We talked about the passage graves earlier. Uh, there are a few people even in Denmark who have tried to connect it to astronomical uh, correlations mm. and. Um, in the same way as, as people have done with Stonehenge in a smaller scale, but yeah. um, there are some there are some some value to that uh, that track for sure. I think. Yeah, ley lines and stuff like that. Yeah. That, that is definitely uh, a thing that has been explored here as well. So how, how so on that topic of ley lines, I've actually got the one of those books written by that guy. Um, the old dirt track, which is where he... Alfred Watkins or something. That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's really interesting how he he realised that there's things that are built in certain lines that even if there's a mountain there or a river there, they appear to be in a straight line with each other, particularly um, sites of um, historical or cultural context. I think at the time he was thinking he saw churches and buildings and burial sites and um, forts that were all in straight lines when there really shouldn't have been. It didn't make much sense at the time. And it wasn't until he scaled it up across the entire country he found there was quite a few mm. long tracks like that. Yeah. The question is, was these things built along these lines uh, because already something was going on or were they built to make something go on? Or yeah. like what came first? And, it's, uh, it's a powerful story. I mean, I think people will put a line across anything nowadays. And I think it's, it's a bit of a mess now. But I think mm. if you look at uh, what he highlighted, because obviously he was an amateur um, adventurer, as it were, and he was like, "Well, I, I can, we can see these. So we don't know what they are." But and he was putting forward his own theories about it. But uh, so, do you, is there a lot of that kind of um, across Denmark where sites line up with each other? Is that a case up there too, with these um, ancient sites and megalithic sites? I'm actually not sure. There, what I know is that there is these. There is a point of of where so, some of the places were built because they were built high up in the landscape, uh, so they could be viewed majestically, and you could also view from them. Uh, but but there has been a few attempts to make these on Bornholm, I know, uh, mm. less, uh, but I'm not sure how they are how accepted they are in in uh, archaeological circles. Uh, oh. It could be interesting to check up on. It's an article I found about it um, a few months ago that I put like on a back burner for. You put, you put it in the bookmarks out. and then I'll, I'll come back to it. You yeah, know, yeah. it's like files upon files in the folders and yeah. Oh, dude, I'm the same. I really am. Yeah. <laughs> put things back. I'll remember that and then months later it's like, oh, I remember. Yeah. 
and it's a problem sometimes because then you forget that you did it two years ago and you suddenly scan a whole book and shit, I scanned it two years ago and yeah. you have to have some kind of system at some point or it's, it's, you have to have a system yeah yeah <laughs> try at least <laughs> oh man so if people wanted to to find out what you're about uh, where can they um, where can they find out about your websites and how can they get in touch with you well our website uh, we have we're working on one now which hopefully comes up in around April this is the kind of the deadline we set and it's going to be hiddenmark.dk. So DK is the domain name for yeah. Denmark. Yeah. But so far we have, um, we're using the Instagram mostly. A little bit of Facebook, but but Instagram is kind of the the main, because it's a lot centered around pictures of these areas, and it's a good short format for the stories. Yeah. So what is it less? Is it Instagram.com slash hit underscore Denmark? Yeah, I think it's it's one or the other. I think the Facebook it's like all out uh, hit Denmark in in, in one right. word, and yeah. on the Instagram is with an underscore between hit and Denmark. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it will probably hidden mark. Uh, I will check. And it, it is it is a wordplay like on hidden and Denmark. You caught it, but a lot of people don't catch it actually. No, it's good. But, I think it's really good to because I think that's the most important thing. Where can people find about what you're about, what you're posting about, what you're talking about, and uh, and I guess more importantly, how can people get involved if they live nearby? <laughs> well, uh, drop us a message on on Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, really, we we started this project to be like a, an open, uh, like a big tent uh, kind of um, organization. Uh, we would love to have people locally uh, in different areas where we can't cover it. Who could maybe uh, go out, uh, take pictures, um, contribute in that way? Uh, doesn't have to be in a big way, even. But if they're interested in these kind of stories, and they should maybe think that aha, we can look in our area and see how we can can put it uh, to use. Um, so I would encourage people definitely to do that. Uh, also, people from outside Denmark, if, if it's if they feel it's possible, uh, it's. For sure, it could be interesting. Somebody uh, would would look into stuff. Um, of course, there is a there is a little bit of a, a limitation because most of the stuff, most of the sources will be in Danish, but still, uh, we can help along with it. So, no, that's really good. I mean, it's it's really popular. People people really touch their their traditions. What what makes their area interesting? What people can do and find out. Like adventurers who want to go on a, on a hiking holiday to go right. Let's go. Let's go walk out that yeah. way, listen to some stuff along the way. Mm. Let's learn a bit about the local history and mythology and culture and traditions. Because, hey, that's, that's what I love to do. So well, if I go somewhere, I always like tap up what, what's local and go check out what's off the beaten track. I, I love that stuff. You know? yeah. yeah. And in that yeah. case, our, our webpage will be the main attraction. Yeah. Because uh, what we're trying to build is a map of these places. Yeah, basically. we didn't mention that. Yeah. Um, we we try to make a, a different map that we can integrate on the site, but also standalone. It's a bit tricky how we're going to do it, but we we have some ideas and uh, and hopefully it will go. No, I hope so. Well. Really good. I think I, the idea of like going on an adventure holiday to discover uh, another country, I think, is is fantastic. It's something I'd like to do once once this COVID restrictions all lifted. I think I might go and check out myself. I'd, I'd love to go to Denmark and I'd love to go and explore that area. Um, so hey, if you guys, You're very well, I'll so, yeah, come by for sure. Get some of that. Uh, Get some oh. alcohol behind you. 
Yeah, we'll we'll take you around uh, as far as we can go in in the time you're here. Oh, dude, that'd be amazing if we could do that. That'd be cool. Because I think that's what really needs to happen. People need to get out there. To stop being inside. Either COVID yeah. being the way it is, but we want to get outside. If you liked this video, perhaps share it with your friends, your family, and colleagues, helping great people find great content. Thank you.